Welcome to the Semper Reformata Podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. Matthew chapter 15, and we're going to read a few verses from verse 22, verse 21. Matthew 15 and 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thy son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16. That he, the Lord Jesus, might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. So we want to think of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 17. And in our last look last week at Ephesians 2, we learned that God has united all true believers in Christ. Whatever their ethnicity, whatever their religious background, those who have come to him, those who have trusted him for salvation, are his. They're part of his people, his one true Israel. And we saw that Jesus did this firstly by bringing us all from a condition of enmity and rebellion against God our creator to the place where we have a personal relationship with our Creator, so that we are at peace with God. And in this closeness to God in Christ himself, we have been brought near. So we read tonight that he is our peace, who hath made both one. And Paul has taught us that he has broken down the wall of partition between the Jews and the Gentiles. And he did that 
by abolishing all those minor laws and ordinances that the Jews had hedged about God's law. He did that by fulfilling the law in his sinless life and in his atoning death on the cross. So a little bit further up in the passage in verse 14, it says, For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh, his sinless flesh, the enmity. Here it is, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So I want to go a little bit further with that thought this evening. And I want to think about the proclamation of peace in verse 17. And we read there that he came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. Christ preaches peace to us. And the terms you who were far off and them that were nigh, of course, as we have now learned over two or three weeks, refers to the Gentiles, those who are far off, not geographically afar off, but estranged from the covenants of God. And those who are nigh are the Jews. And we learned that in Christ, those who are far off have been brought nigh. They've been brought into God's covenant people. The Jews of his day, the legalistic, works religion, self-righteous Jewish nationalists who believed themselves to be right with God by ticking off lists of good works. And Jesus, Paul says, has preached peace to both groups. Both groups needed to hear the message that they are far from God and that they need to come to him. To his disciples, he said in John 16 and verse 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In 1 Timothy 3 and 16, Paul writes him without controversy, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So here we have this verse 17. That Jesus came and preached peace to you which were afar off. And that immediately leaves us with a question, doesn't it? Because Paul is talking to Gentile Christians who live in Ephesus. So you're going to be really pernickety. You're going to say to me, well, when was Jesus in Ephesus preaching to these people? It's not a facetious question. Because there certainly are those who harbor fanciful ideas about this kind of thing. Apparently the Mormons, for example, they believe that Jesus visited America. They believe that following his ascension, Jesus visited the Native American people. It's in the Book of Mormon 3, Nephi 11, that he descended from heaven and he stood on their temple. And if you're from England, 
You sung that patriotic hymn, Jerusalem, written by William Blake. What does it say? Did those feet in ancient times walk upon England's mountains green? And was the holy Lamb of God on England's pleasant pastures seen? And did the countenance divine shine forth upon our clouded hills? And was Jerusalem builded here among those dark satanic mills? And when it's set to that stirring music by Sir Hubert Parry, it fairly rails the heart up and makes you patriotic, doesn't it? Not me, of course. But you hear it sung by a choir and an orchestra. Theologically, of course, it's absolutely and totally misleading. During his earthly ministry, or even after his resurrection, Jesus did not physically visit America or England. And certainly not Ephesus. So the question remains, how did Christ preach peace to these Gentiles who are in Ephesus? Now who did Jesus preach peace to? Well there's no doubt that the earthly ministry of Jesus was largely confined to the Jews, including those half-Jews who inhabited Samaria, where a woman at a well was saved by God's grace and The whole town where she lived in experienced revival. But what about the Gentile nations? We know that Jesus in his earthly ministry didn't go on, didn't go much outside the geographical boundaries of that little section of the Middle East that modern people call Palestine. But we've read the account of the Canaanite woman. That Canaanite woman who acknowledged him as the Messiah At that time, Jesus was, in verse 21 of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, Jesus was in the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, basically a Gentile area. And there he was preaching and working in that Gentile area. When a woman who was a Gentile came to him, a Canaanite woman, a pagan woman to all extent and purposes, a woman who had been brought up in pagan belief, who came to him and acknowledged him as the Messiah. She came to him and she said, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thy son of David. It was the language the Jews would have used for the coming Messiah. He was acknowledged as the son of David. Now, Jesus waited. He didn't reply at first. Verse 22, it tells us that he, verse 23, that he answered her not a word. And then later on, he gave her an answer that would be typical of Jews. Because he said to her in, 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 in verse 28, or rather in verse 16, it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. I've left it too out. That's verse 26. He answered and said, it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Now, as we learned last week, it was common among the Jews who refer to the Gentiles as being of a lesser mortality than they were. They were no better than dogs to a Jew. 
And yet despite these, this testing, this common trait, a Jewish man wouldn't speak to a Gentile woman. A Jewish man would refer to a Gentile as being of a lesser type of mortality. And yet it says in verse 25 of Matthew 15, she came and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. Now I guarantee you tonight, if you come to the Lord Jesus, no matter who you are, no matter how far away from the covenants of God you are, no matter how steeped in sin you are, no matter what ethnicity you are, if you come before the Lord acknowledging him as Savior and Lord, as Messiah, if you come before him on bended knee, worshipping him, and you come saying, Lord, be merciful to me, help me, I guarantee you he will never turn you away. And that Gentile Canaanite woman came to Christ that day and sought his help. And Jesus answered. And he said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord. It is true. Before you, Lord, I am nothing more. I am nothing more than a sinner. I don't deserve a thing from you. I don't deserve a crumb from you. I don't deserve anything. But even the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Listen to Christ's reply. Oh, woman, great is thy faith. Jesus preaching to the Gentiles. Preaching in a very powerful way. Teaching them that like all of us, we are sinners who need the Lord. Teaching them that when they come to him in faith, by simple faith, he will never turn them away, even though they don't deserve anything from him. Be it unto thee, even as thy wilt. That day her prayers were answered. She met the Saviour. Of course, there are other examples. Jesus healed a Roman centurion servant in Luke chapter 7, verse 1 to 10. He traveled through the Gentile regions of the Gadarenes in Mark 5 and verse 1, and they came over onto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. So while the earthly ministry of Christ was no doubt primarily and largely to the Jews, it was not exclusively so. And of course there's underlying statements as well. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, he read in the synagogue. And he read from the book of Isaiah. And he read that passage about how the Messiah would preach the gospel to the poor and heal the brokenhearted and teach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. How he had come to set at liberty them that are bruised. How he had come to preach the acceptable year of the Lord from Isaiah 61. And of all the prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah was the one that declared that salvation was for all of the nations. And in John 10 and verse 16, Jesus said to his disciples, 
other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also must I bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. And in John 12 and verse 32, he said, If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. I've no doubt you could go through many, many more examples of that. So when was he in Ephesus? You see, Christ's proclamation is not ended with his death and resurrection. His proclamation of peace is extended through his church. It is when Paul preached in Ephesus the peace of God through Christ that Jesus was preaching peace to the Gentiles. Christ's proclamation is continued and extended to the Gentiles in the work of his body, the church. We've already seen that the church is the body of Christ. It's a metaphor, as we've noticed, that is frequently used by Paul to describe the relationship between Christ and his church. He is the head and the church is his body. Ephesians 2 and verse 16, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body. By the cross, as his body, Christ is preaching to the lost. Christ is preaching to the Gentiles through us, through his church, through the, through the preached word, through the declared witness of the church, through the witness of individual Christians in their place of work, in their home, in, the, in their social lives, as their lives witness for Christ. His ministry of preaching peace has not ended. He preaches peace to the Gentiles through you and me. He began a work that would continue through the apostles and through the church. And that church is his body. And the early church took this responsibility of carrying Christ's proclamation very seriously. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So Ian Hamilton, in his commentary, comments here, Jesus preached peace to the Ephesian Gentiles through the ministry of his body, the church. In this instance, through Paul's preaching ministry, Jesus preached to the Ephesians. The head spoke through the ministry of his ambassador, the church's head, now risen and exalted to the right hand of God his Father, makes his gospel appeals through the life and the witness of the church. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So we've worked that out now, haven't we? Jesus proclaims peace to the Gentiles through Paul and through us. Let's just finish by making two points of application. Let's ask why Christ's peace has to be preached. He preached peace to you. Always been a hunger for war among mankind, hasn't there? We see that even today. A lack of peace. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his great sermon on this subject, in his book, Book Two, in his series in Ephesians, talks about and refers to Isaiah 57 in verse 20. He's stealing his illustration, but at least I'm telling you. Isaiah 57 and verse 20 says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea, but it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. Martin Lloyd-Jones illustrates that the ocean is being pulled about by magnetic forces, I'm quoting him, from the moon and the gravitational pull from the earth. This in turn causes massive turmoil and unrest in the ocean. This is similar to humanity's natural state. Humanity is not at rest. It is at war with God. End quote. Well, you can see that, can't you? You can see the results of the restless hearts of men and women in that verse. For a couple of years, we lived in Malayle, um, along the Ballywater Road in Malayle, and right beside the beach, and it was lovely on a beautiful day to wake up in the morning and the sun streaming through the double windows. You open the windows at the front of the, the house, and the sun would stream in, and you could stand in our living room, and you could look straight across the sea to Scotland. It wasn't that far. You could clearly see the, the houses on the, on the other side. But when there was a storm, it was entirely different. After a storm, that beach that lay in front of us was covered in debris. It was covered in rubbish. It was covered in dead weeds, all cast up by the force of the troubled sea. There was one day our neighbour said to us, you should go down to the beach and see what's washed up. And there was this five foot long dead fish lying on the beach, washed up. All that rubbish, very often in a heavy gale, not only spread onto the sand, but spread onto the road as well. Troubled sea spreads its filth, spreads its rubbish and its muck as far as it can. I think Isaiah 57 verse 20 is a very accurate description of why we need to preach to all of humanity the peace of God. For the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. Isn't humanity restless? Isn't humanity troubled? Don't we see more than ever the dirt and the filth and the depravity that's being cast up by our troubled society? We have this control over what we're allowed to say and think. We have children being shown graphic visual images of 
sexual depravity in primary schools. We have children being actually encouraged to consider if they have gender dysphoria by their teachers, being allowed to choose their pronouns without reference to their parents. We have abortion being used as a common contraceptive, the murder of unborn children being actually promoted by medical practitioners, by the government, by the schools, by the the advisory bodies to compensate for the immoral use of sexual activity, an activity that was given as a gift by God to be carefully used and to be cherished between a man and a woman in a lifelong monogamous relationship in marriage. We have the use of our shores as a destination for people traffickers, human slave traders, and economic migrants. And if you speak out against it, you're accused of being a racist. And all the time our streets are becoming more dangerous. All that and much, much more. The result of the restless, troubled, sinful hearts of people being tossed about by waves and the influences of the world and the flesh and the devil who has destroyed the relationship between God and man, the essential peace that was the object of our created purpose. We're made to be at peace with our creator, but we're not because of our rebellion and sin. And it's bubbling up to the surface of the troubled sea of humanity, and it is being cast everywhere. Murder, lust, war is potentially in the heart of every man and woman and boy and girl. We need peace. I'm not talking about the peace that the ecumenical churches talk about. I'm not talking about the superficial peace of some international treaty. And I'm not talking about the uneasy calm that comes from erecting a peace wall between two communities in Belfast. That kind of peace is illusionary. Real peace comes from God alone. Real peace comes from the restoration of our relationship with God through Christ. That is the peace that is preached to us by the Lord Jesus through his body, the church. That's why we must faithfully continue to declare that gospel message and to hold him alone as the saviour and the answer to this world's problems. The church's task is not politics. The church's task is is not to put ointment on troubled wounds and hope that they'll go away. The church's task is to declare Christ and him crucified. And that ministry of declaring Christ's peace will settle the war in the human heart between God and mankind. And we must preach it. And to whom then must this peace be preached? You'll have noticed in verse 17, 
that he came and preached peace to you which are afar off and to them which were nigh. And that's just about everybody. To those that are inside the church, to those who are outside the church, to those who are nominal Christians, to those who are outright pagans, it's for everyone. There's plenty of people in Northern Ireland who think they don't need Jesus. Plenty of people who think they're good enough to get to heaven. Plenty of people who think that being a member of some church will get them there, or that being a moral, upright person, that they will somehow earn their place in heaven. And none of that is true, for every single person needs Jesus, because we can't have peace with God except on his terms. So as his body, because he declares peace through us, we must proclaim Christ's peace to every man. Not every man will be saved. Not every man will respond. Only those whom the Lord our God shall call. But it is our task to declare the saving message of Christ to every individual. Second Corinthians 5 and 20. Paul makes a great appeal. He says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. So I ask you this evening, do you know God's peace? Do you have the peace of God dwelling in your heart or are you still tossed about by every wave of the troubled sea of this world? Because real peace only comes from Jesus. Paul wrote in Philippians 4 and 7, The peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. Colossians 3 and 15 And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Do you have that peace? Come to him now. He is the Lord of peace. He said, my peace I give to you. He will calm your anxieties. He will settle your troubled heart. He will calm your fears. He says, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we've seen how Christ's peace is preached to Gentiles. And we've seen why it must be preached to Gentiles. And we've seen to whom it must be preached. To Gentile and to Jew alike. That work of Christ continues in the ministry of his faithful church when it preaches the gospel of salvation. Salvation by grace through Christ, through faith in Christ alone. And the application of that is the greatest need of mankind is to experience God's peace. For there is no other way. 
to be in happiness. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.